You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's a hold on to your hat day here in the Pacific Northwest. It's definitely uh, getting a little blustery out there and uh, a little rainy now and then and then a little bit of sunshine. And it's typical wait five minutes, the weather will change day, but definitely breezy. Um, this is the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And we come to you every week, special day this week, because yesterday we had a budget uh, committee. Well, actually, it was a board work session on the budget with our joint with our budget committee, um, to be clear, because we can't really have budget committee meetings until we read the budget message, according to Oregon budget law. Just one of those fun things about Oregon budget law. Um, So we had a a kind of a pre-budget meeting and mostly to talk about what things the budget committee would like our staff to present to them when we get to the budget process so that staff has time to prepare that information. Useful meeting yesterday, but that's why the Bose Nose shows on Thursday this week because that meeting was began at um, three o'clock and ran into the four o'clock hour and next week's probably gonna be the same thing because I have to go to Salem to participate on the, Criminal Justice Commission's Grant Review Committee. Uh, It's a gubernatorial appointment that I received last year, and we are going to be looking at um, four counties that are trying to get the second year of their justice reinvestment grant uh, approved for the remainder of the biennium. And that meeting is up in Salem, and it's scheduled to be an all-day meeting. Uh, So I don't think I'm going to be able to do the Bose Nose show on Wednesday again next week. So we may be on Thursday again next week, but we'll have to take a look at our calendars, match things up, and Robin and I will get something out on Facebook letting you know when the show will be on the air. But just an early warning, it's kind of that crazy time of year as we get into budget season for um, public agencies, because our budgets run from July 1st to June 30th, almost all public agencies. Unlike the federal government that runs from October 1st through September 30th and most people's budgets and business budgets that run on the calendar year. But that's just the way things work in government land. It's always a little bit odd. And uh, in fact, today uh, I was at the Lane Regional Air Protection Agency um, and we were passing our budget there and having our second budget committee meeting. And uh, it's just one of multiple agencies that I get to review budgets on because sometimes I'm reviewing sub budgets like with the Human Services Commission has a sub budget that the Human Services Commission approves and then that goes to the Board of Commissioners. 
Same thing with the Public Safety Coordinating Council that's like a programmatic budget. But then there's actual separate agencies like Lane Regional Air Protection Authority, which I am a, a voting member on their board and therefore also a voting member on the Budget Committee. Uh, same thing with the Homes for Good, which is the um, HUD Housing Authority in Lane County that the Board of Commissioners serves as five of the seven board members. So we also have a budget there that we review and approve. So that, you know, just, you know, multiple budgets. I used to also sit on the uh, Metropolitan Wastewater Management Authority, which was also a separate agency that has a budget that gets reviewed and approved. So it's a uh, budget, 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 budget. And then there, of course, there's Lane County's budget uh, on top of that, which is probably the biggest and most complex budget I look at. But it seems like every time I turn around, I'm working on a budget. And uh, today we, the Budget Committee approved El Rapa's budget to go to the board and then the board formally adopts that budget. It's actually the Budget Committee's recommend approval to the full, to the board. The Budget Committee is involved an equal number of citizens on the Budget Committee. So it's the opportunity for citizens to review and approve the finances of these public agencies. At least that's how Oregon budget law is set up. And at the same time, they also hold a public hearing as part of that adoption process. And, and that's one of the opportunities for the public to have input on that budget. The El Rapa board and, of course, any public agency, when they take the budget committee's recommendations, holds a second public hearing, uh, which is an, another opportunity for citizens to get involved. So that that's really, um, there's a lot of opportunity for citizens to look at and review budgets. Problem is, is it, the accounting for public agencies is so different from what you would see in a business or your home, you know, finances, the budget you might set for your finances, that people often get lost in the documents and, and the, how it's presented. Under Oregon law, all of the public agencies have to budget each separate fund to balance. So um, if you think about Lane County, we have our general fund, which is where our, our property taxes come in and, and some of our, it's the one we have the most uh, discretion over. About 70 to 80% of that money is discretionary spending at the will of the Board of Commissioners. Then we have a whole bunch of special funds where we might take in federal money that's being passed through to us and distributing it, um, such as we, act, we have, have a... Uh, um, county school fund that is part of our budget, which is merely there for us to take in federal timber money and pass it through to the state. So whatever we get in goes out and there's no no expenditures in between. Um, and then, of course, each fund might actually transfer money between each other, like we have um, the jail levy fund where they actually might be paying or some expenses that are covered in our general fund, like uh, uh, the direct, it, direct and indirect support from county administration towards what the, the, the employees in the jail levy are using, like computer services, HR, and a few other things. And there may be a transfer from the jail levy fund to the general fund to cover those, those indirect and direct expenses. 
that transfer out of the, there has to be shown in the general fund as a transfer in so that money actually shows up twice in our budget. So if you were to add up all the budgets as an all funds budget, like like a lot of agencies will release a number of what the all funds budget is, quite often there's a lot of double counted money that's interfund transfers. So it's really, um, you have to be careful about how you talk about budgets um, with counties and included in all funds budget will be the beginning fund balance and the ending fund balance. Um, and part of that is uh, their reserves in that that are actually required by law to be withheld or, or for specific purposes. And that gets kind of confusing because it makes it look like there's a lot more money than there really is in a government agency's budget. What is actually uh, annual revenue and annual expenses is a far different number than than what the overall budget is. So we got to pass the El Rapa, uh, the Air Protection Ag local Air Protection Agency's budget today as a budget committee, and uh, it's a relatively small budget. You know, a couple million dollars compared to the half billion dollar county budget that I've been dealing with, over half billion dollars. So. Far less complex. There's only three separate fund accounts in that budget, so it's pretty easy to follow the money from fund to fund. Where there's uh, upwards of 20 to 30 some in the county's budget, um, gets pretty complex when you get to bigger agencies. Let alone when you get up to the state government level, where uh, just fund after fund that has budgets you have to try and track and follow, and the interfund transfers. You know, what program uses that fund, uh, where the revenues come from, it can get pretty complex and head spinning if you don't do it for a living. So I can understand sometimes people's frustration and feeling that there's a lack of transparency in government because it is really complex sometimes for the average citizen to follow that budget process. And it's one of those things that I try and you know, make myself available to walk people through that. There was, you know, quite a, a concern a few years back as we were having to make all these cuts and, and where was money going, you know, why we couldn't, you know, fund enough patrol and, and where, you know, how are we spending the money? And when we were trying to pass the vehicle registration fee, why we couldn't do things without having that fund. And, you know, I offered at any time if a constituent wanted to come in and set up a meeting with me, I would walk through the budget with them. And I did that with a couple of constituents where we sat down and, and uh, opened up the budget document, uh, which is a three ring binder that's about four inches thick uh, and walked through some of the different programs they were interested in finding out details about. Uh, had my computer available right there so we could look at other detail that might not be in that document. And I, I, I continue to offer that to anyone that wants to um, set up an appointment with me and walk through budget items and learn about the budget and understand that um, I'm willing to you know extend my knowledge to individual citizens that want to understand that because I believe it's important for people to have that knowledge in as part of the transparency in Lane County government and that that knowledge needs to be there. In, included in that transparency is having information available on the internet. And you can get to our, our budget documents um, really easily if you go on to our 
our website through uh, lanecounty.org to find us. Uh, you can just put in the search thing, uh, budget, and you'll, you'll find our budget office, and you can see what the current year's budget documents are, the past year adopted budgets. You can go back multiple years so you can see trends. Um, quite often, our budget document will track trends on some of our, like our general fund, uh, so you can see some of that. And uh, there's some really great information there, particularly in some of the presentation information to the uh, budget committee. You can actually get to the presentations uh, for each budget committee. You know, it, it'll say budget committee materials there, and you can go and see what the individual slideshows are from various departments and programs. And that gives you some really insight into county government, what the functions are, what the trends have been, what the you know the goals and the and the services provided. So a lot of great information there. In addition to that, there is a transparency page. So if you if you just put transparency into the uh, uh, search engine there, you can find it um, where you can look up every individual checkbook item that Lane County does, every expenditure, whether it's a credit card or a check written, and right down to, you know, if an employee charges um, their lunch or something like that, you can find those expenditures. If it's on a, if it's on a county credit card, it would be there. Uh, not that that's there very often because that's not what those credit cards are for, but if you were looking to see, you know, how many times that you know lunches were purchased for meetings or something like that, or looking for those sort of expenditures, you can find those individual expenditures, as well as all the revenue deposits we get. So there's it's literally a general ledger um, where you can click through the details and everything, and that's there on the internet, uh, readily available. So our budget's available. That um, that Transparency page is there where you can click on a, a, each separate month and the report for that month of outgoing checks and credit card charges and incoming revenue checks um, are all right there. So you can see the, the in and out of, of the Lane County. And in addition, we get quarterly budget reports, um, the board does, from our budget staff. And those quarterly reports are available if you look on our agenda. The, the, go to the Board of Commissioners page under Commissioners Meetings, um, and there's a place where you can go to Board Agendas and uh, look for where we're getting those quarterly reports, and, uh, and, and those are also, I think, on our Budget Committee page. And it's kind of an update on where we are with our, our um, budget as far as, you know, are the revenues, um, what percentage of revenues have been collected in a particular fund, and what percentage of expenditures have been expended. Um, it varies by fund. You know, you think about the road fund. We spend most of our money in the summertime when we're doing construction work. And uh, we get a lot of our money um, when the state distributes um, various um, uh, gas tax dollars to us. So you can kind of see the ebb and flow of money coming in and out of, of the road fund. If you're looking at our general fund, most of our money comes in after the tax bills go out in the fall in November, December, and January. And then we draw that money down throughout the year because the expenditures out of the general fund are more across the entire year because we're funding things like the DA's office, 
the sheriff's office and um, assessment and taxation and elections that, that tend to be a little bit more spread out over the entire year. But our money seems to come in all at once in that fund. So those are some of the things you can look at and view uh, through our, our website and maintaining that transparency. So kind of have budget on the brain, a little bit of El Rapa on the brain because we had that meeting. But I, I got to talk a little bit about re-election stuff because it, that's you know kind of dominating uh, a little bit of the news lately as we were, were basically one month and a few days from the primary election and for nonpartisan races like the county commissioner's races that can be basically election day because if somebody gets 50 percent plus one vote they will be the only name on the ballot in November because that's the Oregon law for nonpartisan races and how that works for the county commissioner races. So in my race where there's only three people on the ballot and one of them is, is not spending any money um, and is just kind of a name on the ballot, it's kind of a two-person race um, between myself and Nora Kent. And in Springfield with Commissioner Lichen, he's only got one opponent, so it's definitely um, one of them is going to get 50% plus one vote, it, it, unless it ends up a dead tie, which is which is really rare, but it, it's it's happened before. And then I think they go to a coin flip, maybe. Um, not sure how that works in a nonpartisan race, but um, it looks like in Springfield you'll know who your commissioner. Pretty sure who your commission. Of course, you can run a writing campaign in November, but um, unless there's some major scandal between May and November writing campaigns against um, some, you know, to try and get people to write in against one person's name on the ballot have not been successful in Oregon um, in, in my memory. So uh, you pretty much are going to know who the commissioner is going to be for the next four years in Springfield after May 15th. And there's, it, it may be the same way in West Lane County. So it's, it's getting to be kind of the crazy season. Uh, for all this because at the same time I just described the fact that you know I'm I, I sit in multiple you know I had a homes for good uh, short board meeting yesterday by phone we have a longer board meeting next week and we also um, you know have an El Rapa board meeting this week you know it's not like it's just the board of commissioners that I have to still keep up with I have to keep up with you know, all the various assignments as being a commissioner at the same time, we had a, 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 a rather lengthy board meeting on Tuesday, and um, I had, a, you know, still have to deal with constituent response. In fact, I had a meeting with with a couple constituents on on Monday, and uh, had to attend a water control board meeting Monday night uh, because of some concerns of some constituents about some uh, erosion issues along uh, the Willamette River. So if there's still the, all the work you have to do as a commissioner, yet at the same time, you're expected to run a, a robust campaign for re-election. So you're doing um, what I've, uh, I've talked about in the past is more than a 40-hour-a-week job as commissioner. It's more than a 60-hour-a-week job, actually. And then I'm supposed to try and run a campaign that is probably um, equally time-consuming. So I, my life has been completely about uh, either re-election or trying to do my job well as a commissioner 
to the point where I had to try and very quickly um, get a printout of my W-2s today because I've got to file extensions for all my taxes because I haven't had an opportunity to sit down and even try and do my income taxes at this point. And it's like no minute like the last minute um, to file an extension and hopefully estimate my, my payments correctly. But that's just part of, of, of trying to be a commissioner and run for reelection at the same time. You know, it, it was, uh, wasn't easy when I ran the first time because I had a full-time job at eWeb at the same time. So it's never been easy and, and, and election time is just crazy making for everybody. But it's even crazier when folks aren't being honest. And it's, it's something that bothers me um, to no end in some ways because I hold honesty as a really um, core value of mine. In fact, I've been told by folks that I am honest to a fault, to where I will actually say things in public that might not be um, to my best advantage or might even damage myself because I'm one that, you know, whether it's good or bad for me, I'm going to tell you honestly what's going on or what my opinion is or what my position is, and um, I'm not going to lie about it. Or, or obfuscate or, or hide the truth. And one of the things that's been going on in this campaign is my opponent, uh, my major opponent, that's actually uh, you know, raising funds and collecting money and uh, has folks going around door to door for her, uh, started out her campaign in her campaign announcement to the press and in her first fundraising letter to her, to what she thought was her supporters uh, included a false statement about my record, my voting record, and my voting record about pay raises. She stated in both her her um, press release announcing her candidacy and in this fundraising letter that I voted to increase my own salary. And this is far from the truth. In fact, there were three opportunities for me to vote on this. And that was in the budget committee twice, I voted no. And when it came before the board of commissioners, I voted no. So three times I voted no against this in the process. And there's only one process for commissioners to raise their salary. On even number years, they have to, you know, by state statute, we have to put together an elected officials compensation committee advisory committee and we put one together and it was a, a group of HR directors from the private industry uh, I think you know several major companies and they got together looked over comparable salaries for other commissioners they also looked over the sheriff the DA the tax assessor all the elected positions in Lane County and made recommendations for compensation and they made a recommendation for a approximately 13% increase to his commissioner salaries because we are behind all the other commissioners across you know, the five comparable counties that we compare ourselves to. And uh, that's smaller, that's several smaller counties and several larger counties. And of course, Marion County, which is almost exactly the same population. And um, that recommendation, we actually, the 13% wouldn't even quite catch us up. It would still have us behind slightly the median. And that recommendation first goes to the budget committee for approval. 
and a recommendation to the Board of Commissioners, and the Board of Commissioners has to vote and adopt it. And the reason they do that is we have to do that before an election. We have to take that vote so the next election we stand for, um, that vote's on, on record. And then it doesn't take effect until after the election. So it's really a test of, of political will for some commissioners to actually vote yes on a pay raise, knowing that you know some of them are going to be standing for election in between. And we back in 2016, we went through that process, and I voted no the two times it came up in the budget committee, both individually as the commissioners and in the full motion that included the commissioners' raises and also the raise for um, I forgot to include our um, justice of the peace as an elected position, and uh, the sheriff had a raise. Um, and then it, when it came before the Board of Commissioners, that's the only way uh, elected officials compensation gets changed is through that process, except for cutbacks can be done midterm by the, the actual elected officials um, for their singular positions. Uh, and uh, I voted no three times, but my opponent set out this, these written documents saying that I had voted for my pay raise without probably doing a lot of checking and probably just kind of believe some information or something they had heard versus verifying it. And that was their claim when we, they were first contacted about making that that false statement and request to retract it was, oh, well, we just made a mistake. Um, and, 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 and a bunch of uh, buts and ands. And um, it took weeks of communications from an attorney to get my opponents to through their attorney to say they were going to issue a retraction. Well, unfortunately, um, the retraction was only issued to the press that got the, the original statement. The letter that went out to uh, to the people that received the fundraising document didn't include a retraction. Um, of uh, it didn't even mention the specific issue that was was uh, part of the false statement. So um, it's really difficult sometimes when you have that. And then then to see um, letters to the editor come out where it was obviously it seems to be, I shouldn't say it's obviously, appears to have been orchestrated that there's a sentence included there about commissioner pay raises to try and kind of present that innuendo, again, that I somehow was connected with a 13% pay raise for myself, which is not the truth and is not an honest way to campaign. So I really call on my opponent to run an honest campaign from here on out to issue a real retraction to the folks that got that letter, because that's probably why that letter to the editor was written, because they, they might have been a recipient of that original letter that accused me of voting for my own pay raise, and then a recipient of the non-retraction letter. And um, that's why you get letters to the editor that mention that. So I, you know, it, it bothers me that you see that. And, and it's, and there are other areas. Uh, my opponent also issued a statement on Facebook that she had swept the environmental and labor endorsements. Well, excuse me, but I've got two unions that have endorsed me. So how do you sweep something when two unions have endorsed your opponent? So again, a, a not, not a true statement, 
and one that could have been verified had she wished to check. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's, you know, it's not directly dishonest, but, you know, not verifying facts is a pretty serious thing to do in a campaign situation. There is Oregon statute about making false statements in campaigns. And uh, the only way to remedy it is through civil action from uh, one candidate to another, which is one of the reasons why an attorney had to contact my opponent about her false statement and not the uh, elections clerk or the secretary of state. But um, it is against election law. And I will just, you know, ask my opponent, you know, I'm running an honest race. I will not knowingly or even um, I, everything I'm putting into my campaign literature, I, I am doing my best to verify. I can present backup to any numbers I have and statements I make uh, about myself. I try not to make statements about my opponent because it's really about me convincing the voters to vote for me rather than to not vote for my opponent. And I just call on my opponent to run an honest campaign from here on out and, uh, you know, maybe issue a real retraction of her statement around me uh, voting for my pay raises when I did not vote for my pay raises. In fact, I voted against him three times. And in fact, immediately after I lost that vote, in the commissioner's board meeting and our and I knew we were going to be getting a pay raise cut come January 1st. I went and changed um, my United Way um, form that we are currently in our United Way campaign at the time for doing uh, payroll deductions to go to United Way and I doubled my deduction for United Way for the upcoming year starting January 1st. Most of my raise went to charity. So, you know, not only did I vote against it, I took my raise and put a lot of it towards charity. So that that just, you know, just to show it wasn't a show vote. It was an honest vote that I did not think we needed that big of a raise. So there you go. That's that's the background. A little wound up about that one, but it just it, it's one of the things that gets to me. I mean, I just, you know, like I said, people accuse me of being honest to a fault. And it is true. It's a real big thing. You know, one of the things I will lose sleep over the most is if I accidentally make a false statement. I can remember there was one time I made a, a I put something out on on through Facebook that was inaccurate because I misheard something staff said about somebody, and I lost sleep for two or three nights where I was having trouble sleeping. I apologized publicly to the person involved. I issued a retraction. You know, it was just one of those cases where I I thought I heard something one way and ran with it. And I and and it taught me a lesson too that I need to be really careful to make sure I've heard things correctly. Um, but that's yeah, really um, I would I I really one of my real core values is to try and be honest and transparent. It's one of the reasons why I kind of started off some of the show a little bit about our transparency and budgeting and uh, other places we can be transparent. And one of those places we try to be transparent is through auditing. And we did that with the jail levy where we set up the jail levy to have an annual audit, which we have received a clean audit for every year it's been in effect. 
that we have done exactly what we promised to do with the money. We've kept it separate. We spent it on exactly what we promised to spend it on. And uh, we're achieving the goals we, uh, that we promised, which was to maintain a certain number of jail beds and youth detention and treatment beds. And that's really, you know, what we want to do is that, you know, to show with a third party that we're keeping our promises. And one of the places we also do that is through a performance auditor. And I was really happy uh, in the last couple of weeks to um, get Casey Creer, uh, Dr. Casey Creer, I should say, PhD, uh, on board as our new performance auditor. I talked about this in a past program, but um, that's one of the places where we look to also add transparency to Lane County government is the performance auditor does not answer to the county administrator. He answers directly to the board of commissioners and uh, his work plan is run through a citizens advisory committee uh, that's formed uh, by the board of commissioners. It's an audit um, performance auditor advisory committee. Uh, so there's citizens in between the board and the performance auditor so much steering his work plan. And um, but in no place is county administrator or his management staff in that chain of command. So he is independent from the county administrator. So um, can make review of those programs knowing that he won't have any, there's no uh, retribution possible. His, his um, uh, annual review and all that is by the board of commissioners. And um, it's gonna be really great having Casey on board. Uh, he's really a, a smart guy, really energetic. Also got one of the greatest sense of humors I've run into in a while can keep you really laughing, um, but he's been uh, meeting and talking with staff and looking over the uh, the past performance auditors work plan and, and looking at where he might need to make adjustments to it. And it'll probably really be hitting the ground running over the next couple of weeks and getting some of our programs uh, under audit that have the highest amount of risk. Uh, our past performance auditor, Shonda Miller, um, was able to do a couple, several audits while she was working with us. And one of those audits was our behavioral health program because it is our highest risk program. Uh, as we did, you know, one of the first pieces of work that Shonda did was to do a risk assessment of all of our departments and programs in Lane County. And that came up with the highest risk score. And you can imagine why, because we're dealing with folks that are, you know, that have uh, behavioral health and mental health issues. And it's an unstable population that is high risk. And there's a high risk for um, something to, to go wrong in, that, in, in dealing with those folks and to be involved either in legal actions over that something going wrong um, uh, from family members or victims of those people. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where it's a really high risk program. And one of the things that came out of that audit was there was more need for better case management. And because of that, we added additional FTE to the behavioral health department specifically for additional case managers, not necessarily uh, psychiatrists or psychologists or mental other mental health professionals, but the folks that actually just make sure those folks are their their cases are being managed and, and connected with other services and physical health and everything else um, because you have to kind of deal holistically with a lot of these folks because um, 
that's really um, one of the things we have to have to um, do. And um, that's, uh, you know, been important in Lane County is dealing with that um, behavioral health program and trying to make sure it's robust. And, and we've done other things like add the three staff in the jail from behavioral health to help in, in the connection between jail inmates with mental health issues and our behavioral health program. But I want to stop for a moment and breathe and remind you that you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, your host. And we can talk about what you want to talk about here, because that's one of the reasons why I do this show is, is I want to have a conversation with my constituents or anyone that's out there in the internet world, because I've taken calls from as far away as South Africa on this program and Missouri and other places around the country at 646-721-9887. And just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press one and uh, we'll get you in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Uh, it just kind of got wound up a little bit there because, you know, it is election season, just kind of all that intensity of, of trying to do my job and run for re-election and everything else uh, generates a lot of energy. So I'm going to pause and hopefully uh, if there's something you want to talk about, uh, you can get into us at 646-721-9887. Just press one, lets us know you have a question. Other ways you can get a hold of us, of course, you can always like us on Facebook and personal message us through Facebook at um, KRBN News Talk Radio, if you put that in, and that's KRBN, of course, if you kind of think about that, that's K-Robin. Um, <laughs> you know, for, 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 the, for the actual owner of this internet news talk radio station, uh, Robin, who produces my show, and um, you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And you can do that between shows, message us or email us and suggest topics or have questions for me and I'll try and answer them on the next show. And uh, if there's a guest you want me to bring on the Bose Nose Show, because we do bring on guests now and then. So uh, that kind of, it, one of the things about being in crazy season is show prep time hasn't been the premium lately I've, I've kind of had to fly by the seat of my plants in these shows so i hope i haven't rambled too much in the past couple shows but uh that's just kind of the way it goes did get to have a uh, forum last week down in florence and it was it was kind of funny because it was held in um, a small uh, refurbished theater uh, down there the the class act theater and it seats a, has a capacity of about 90 and I think we might have had 150 people trying to listen in. And um, they really uh, packed the room. And, you know, it was probably a good thing the fire marshal wasn't there. Had people leaning in from the lobby through the doorway. And then they have like six windows along the, you know, three on each side of the, the hall that swing, you know, they're those swing out kind of windows. Um, they had them all cranked open all the way. And there were people leaning their heads in the windows from outside, kind of, you know, two or three high in each window. 
and it looked from my angle like one of these um, wood carving prints from the Revolutionary War era of some town meeting, you know, <laughs> standing room only and people leaning in the windows and stuff like that. That just was was pretty impressive about the interest in this election. So I was pleased to see that. Um, and it was a, a lively uh, exchange of views. It was well run by the Florence City Club. They had a format where we each got to do a little brief introduction of ourselves for about three minutes apiece. And then we did a five minute piece about why we're running and some of our stances. And then they went into questions that were submitted in writing from the audience where we kind of rotated. One of us answered first, the other person got to answer second. And the next question, we flipped that. And we probably went through about um, six, eight, maybe ten questions, um, and it was a it was a pretty interesting exchange. Um, and and one of the things, if you're in the Florence area, uh, the local uh, public broadcasting uh, FM station, it's kind of low power down there. But if you're in the Florence area, you can get it. It's uh, KXCR FM. Uh, 90.7 they will be replaying that forum at nine o'clock on saturdays in april so for the next couple saturdays at nine o'clock in the morning you can you can hear a replay of that they had us mic'd, uh so the sound should be pretty good and you should be able to hear everything we had to say uh pretty clearly and i think uh, you can get a really good idea of uh, where um, Ms. Kent and myself are on some issues and um, our ability to handle questions in the moment and our, our knowledge of county programs and uh, generally some of our stance and our backgrounds. So great opportunity for folks to do a compare and contrast. I think it runs about an hour and 10 minutes that we ran past the hour of time at, before they cut us off finally um, because I think they wanted to make sure we didn't run too long. So um, if you've got a little bit of time Saturday morning, maybe it's a rainy Saturday morning in the Florence area and want to give that a listen. I'm trying to see if KXCR is willing to provide me the audio file for that. If I can, we'll put it up here through uh, KRBN Internet Radio, and I'll link to it through both my um, Lane County Commissioner's page and through the uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. So folks can give that a listen, but I'm I'm working uh, right now to see if I can get the audio file from KXCR. But remember, Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, 90.7 FM, and you can listen to that full debate. If you're one of the folks in the Florence area that hasn't, you know, still wants to hear from both candidates, and I recommend if you're, you know, already kind of sort of have your mind made up, go ahead and listen anyway, because it's good to have as much information as you can before you vote. And I encourage everybody to get informed and vote your ballots um, every election. And this is going to, you know, this is a primary election. There's not everybody's on the ballot. I know the Florence City Council and Mayor race doesn't happen until November. But there's, you know, the West Lane County Commissioner race over there in Florence and out here in West Lane County. Um, there's going to be a lot of primary races uh, decided um, for uh, some of the uh, representative seats uh, that cross over and senator seats in, in Lane County. And there's a governor's race going on where there's actually uh, primaries. And then there's the labor commissioner's race 
which basically has two major candidates running right now. And it's a nonpartisan race. So it's one of those races that if somebody gets 50% plus one, they'll be the only name uh, moving to the no November ballot, basically. So it could be over here. So um, labor commissioner is kind of an important thing. Uh, folks might remember that that's, um, there's some broad powers to the labor commissioner in some uh, business practice stuff that he gets to decide on um, and uh, has been involved with quite a few controversial issues over the years in um, Oregon. So uh, you might want to take a close look at that race at the same time and then uh, get educated and vote your ballot come when it gets mailed to you here and uh, get registered to vote if you haven't yet. I think there's still a little bit of time to get registered so you can get a, a ballot and um, get voting here in that May primary. So again, this is the Bose Nose Show, and if you want to get in on the conversation, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and uh, that lets Robin know you want to get in on the conversation here. And I'm going to you know, throw caution to the wind here and uh, ask Robin, you know, what if she has any burning issues of the last week that she just is dying to get on on out on the air here. I know last week we talked a little bit about, you know, what architect school did that guy go to when we talked about roundabouts and and on Franklin Boulevard in Glenwood? So what what what's under your skin this week, Robin? Oh my God! Do we have time? <laughs> we got about fifteen minutes here on the Bose No Show, but if <laughs> folks want to call in instead, we won't we won't hear what's under Robin's skin this week. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be kind of a major. Uh, segment of the program or a segment of the program. Well, in addition to the uh, drunken architect uh, for Franklin Park <laughs> and 6th and 7th Street, um, also, I remember you had to kind of be here uh, a few years um, on one of the numerous repavings of 6th and 7th Street when they were bragging about how they coordinate all the lights together, that if you do a you know, like 25 miles an hour, you can hit all the lights. Well, that's no longer true. Yeah, I haven't figured out what miles per hour, but I don't think it's any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I drive the sixth and seventh couplet all the time because, you know, our offices are located in between, you know, right on the sixth and seventh couplet. My parking structure is between the two. And I tell you, I haven't figured that timing out. I, I, I think they've changed the timing to make, um, coming off of Charlton and Olive um, have a little bit more priority because mm -hmm. that's where the, the, the new West Eugene MX comes down and intersects six and seven. And it's really messed up the rest of the light sequencing um, along there. So it's really hard to try and find the correct speed to hit green lights. No, there's just, there isn't one. <laughs> Maybe that's why all those cameras went up. Is somebody yeah. at the control board going, here comes one, hit the switch. Yeah, we, this guy's been going through a lot of green lights. Somebody quick turn that one red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I, think, I think somebody's back there in the in the major control room snickering every time I go down six and seven. <laughs> yeah, could be. Here he comes. Get ready. Oh, Got him. Get him ready. <laughs> 
Got him. I got two more points, Clyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably have a little score sheet or something. Who knows? Oh uh, yeah, the drunken architects and and the the light timing that went with it. Yeah, I don't get me started. Um, yeah, yeah kind of crazy. You know, it's kind of funny. I've had two incidents in the last week where I've got gone from Sixth Street up onto the Washington Jefferson Bridge to get over the Lamb River, where I've had stuff fly off of a pickup truck in front of me and come crashing down and, and uh, have to do evasive action. The first time it was probably a 24 foot extension ladder um, that was that was retracted at the time, but as it flew off, it kind of came partly extended. Oh no. And it's bouncing across the lanes towards us, towards traffic. And the second time it was a set of plastic uh, storage shelves that came flying out of a pickup truck. It's like, think about it, people, when you, you know, it's like, I guess that's the first time they get past 35 miles an hour when they get onto that bridge. <laughs> but it, that seems like that bridge is always littered with debris that has blown out of the back of some truck. It's like, really, folks, tie it down. <laughs> it wasn't the same truck, was it? Uh, no, it wasn't. One was a truck that had a roof rack made for ladders where I think the guys just forgot the tie downs, you know, threw the ladder up there, got distracted or something and forgot to, to hook it up. But you'd think they would have heard it sliding around up there <laughs> when they made the 90, the 90 turn onto the, the, uh, the Washington Jefferson Bridge. Yeah. And, and the other one, uh, you know, was out of a, a truck that didn't have one of those ladder racks, so it was a completely different pickup truck. And I, and frankly, I was more focused on avoiding the flying object. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, of course, you knew, you know, they do have that rolling speed bump on the Washington Jefferson Street Bridge going up the hill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've had the signs for uh, caution steel plates on that thing for what, how many years? <laughs> yeah. It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just one of those weird coincidences that that's happened to me twice in the last last week. But it's just one of those things. Always got to be paying attention. Damn glad I wasn't looking at my cell phone at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, so. here, uh, although not the drunken architect, but more of the uh, kind of getting back to um, what are you thinking and how come you really don't have a clue. Um, this wasn't in Oregon, but it was uh, on the news where they were talking about homelessness and uh, how people were suffering with poverty and having trouble affording, you know, food and housing and whatever. And they were thinking, well, we should raise taxes so we can give uh, to help these people out. And I was thinking, that's kind of an oxymoron. You can't afford it where you're at anyway, so you got to raise the taxes. To, you're you're going to play Robin Hood. Yeah. Well, it's not so much play Robin Hood. It's one of those things where they also don't think about the unintended consequence of, of raising taxes, which usually raises unemployment and creates more of those folks. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's just it's one of the things. Um, and this is an interesting piece of news that was in, in the news is the budget office came out with some estimates about how much of a deficit the new tax bill creates with the tax cuts. And buried in the report is an admission by the budget office that they are overestimating the deficit because they do static scoring. 
of the deficit. <laughs> and uh, this is a game that's been played over the years where they just basically say, well, if you cut the rates at the current um, employment and earnings that are coming in, this is how much it will increase the deficit, like that, that there's no increase in the amount of tax collections due to the economic stimulus of cutting rates. And, and over and over again, it's been shown from the John Kennedy tax cuts to the Reagan tax cuts to tax cuts in states. When you cut rates, you get an economic stimulus effect that actually increases tax collections. And the scoring not being dynamic against that is, you know, you talk about what, you know, what are you thinking? Why do you even release that number knowing it's completely wrong? But you release that number because you know the press will pick it up and report it like it's just, this is what the deficit's going to be because of this tax reform bill, and it's nowhere near true. You know, that's, you know, talk about a pet peeve of mine. That's one of them. And one of the reasons why it's not true is when you cut tax rates and taxes, you generally leave more money in the private economy where they will hire people with that or increase salaries or issue bonuses that people have to pay taxes on. You think? And, and at the same time, because of that increase in employment, you will see less people demanding services. So, so you actually decrease the demand and, and the, the expense side of, of government equation. And that doesn't get scored either. They score that statically, like there's going to be, a, you know, whatever the current demand on services is going to continue. And only the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to have a decrease in revenue from based on on the current level of collections and that's just so not true okay. any sort of dynamic scoring of those tax cuts and it just drives me crazy okay let, let's spell this out so people in dc can understand this if we cut taxes put more money in people's hands so they can buy stuff which creates more revenue in the long run in the coffers of the government it's actually a good thing Yes, <laughs> it's a good thing, and there's you know there's balancing facts to that and all. And, you know there is a there is a you know there is a point where you can cut to the point where you actually get a diminishing rate of return. Right. Yes, and there and there's there's you know something known as the Laffer curve, um, which is named after Art Laffer, who was an economic advisor to uh, Ronald Reagan. And it you know it shows where that kind of some of that you can estimate where that that point of optimum taxation is, mm-hmm. and and we are well beyond that point in and taxing to where we actually decrease revenues. Um, so tax cuts at least at the federal level um, are you know are, make sense that you actually end up with a net increase in revenues um, because of the economic stimulus uh, component of that. Oregon had a, a deal. I can't remember the exact measures, but again, they were saying, well, if we pass this measure, it will increase revenue to the government. This is a school program, the uh, program to end all school funding issues by X amount, thinking, again, everything is linear. We raise the taxes. It will generate this amount of income that assuming that everything stays statically the same. So people who forget about the game that they play. You know, we got to cut X, Y, Z. If it doesn't pass, 
it passed, both measures passed, and then they said, oh, we didn't calculate the fact that a lot of people and businesses were leaving from Oregon, and so we really are still not going to collect enough. Yeah, I think that sort of happened with measures 66 and 67. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't quite get the amount of taxes they thought they were going to get. Yeah, and that's part of that, you know, as you increase taxes, you you incentivize people to avoid them. You know, so so people do things that are to avoid taxes as they get to be more burdensome. So you incentivize people to take income through different methods, you know, which, you know, pass through income or, or something that might be taxed at a lower rate or to maybe move to another jurisdiction that has lower rates. As we saw when uh, 66 and 67 passed, the um, corporate structure for a local um, car company here in, in the Eugene area, a rather large corporation, moved to Idaho and, and re-headquartered themselves in Boise to change their tax structure. So that's, um, you know, that's part of what happens. You know, there, there are companies are mobile. You know, corporations can be mobile. People are mobile. People moved out of the state. So you, you have to be careful and judicious with how you deal with taxes. And um, that's something as the question of construction excise taxes were coming up. And I was really, uh, I'll have to give kudos. If we're going to complain about stuff on the Bozno show. In the last two minutes, I'm going to spend some time giving a kudo. And that is to the Eugene City Council. And I, and, you know, shock of all shocks, yes, I will recognize when they do something right. They had a unanimous vote on Monday night to delay a discussion of the construction excise tax to gain better information about the impacts of having one and a better understanding of things like, does the state get an automatic 5% cut of that? And to just to collect it and run it, um, you know, what, what happens with that tax? Would it be effective? And it's something that, you know, I've sp spoken about the construction excise tax. It's kind of a tax on something trying to make, to build cheaper of that something is through the government is kind of a, uh, not a really good way to go. But um, Monday night, lo and behold, the city of Eugene chose to uh, postpone any discussion of construction excise taxes and get better information about it. And I commend them for doing that. And they did it unanimously. So it was really um, a great thing there. So I'm starting to hear the music come in. And I uh, get to end on that positive note of, of giving kudos to the city of Eugene City Council. It's a great thing. And I hope I educated people to a few things on the Bose Nose show today. Uh, again, I'll be back next week. Probably going to be a Thursday show again because we've got a packed day submission on Wednesday of next week. So look for the notice on Facebook about the exact show time and everything. And I hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next week on the Bose Nose show. Have a great day.